You're listening to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. Here's your host, Gary Durbin. Welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast, where we talk about worship ministry and the local church. Today with me is Zach Hicks, who is the pastor of Church of the Cross in Birmingham, Alabama. He's been pastoring and leading worship for over two decades in churches all across the country. And he's also an author of three books, songwriter and producer. So welcome, Zach, to the podcast. Thank you for having me on, Gary. Super excited to be here and talk with you. Yeah, man. I also saw in your bio, you've been married for over 20 years to your wife, Abby. Mm-hmm. you got four kids. Four kids. They're all getting old now, at least for me. They, they, they're they definitely not kids anymore. Teenagers, yeah. eye rolling, going to college, the whole thing. So <laughs> we're in that stage. Yeah, I've got a full-blown teenager right now, 15 and a half-year-old daughter, and a 19-year-old son who's in the adult stage. So how old are yeah. your kids? They're 18, 17, 15, and 14. Wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're very wise as a parent now, right? No, probably just humbled enough to know I'm unwise and need <laughs> still need a lot of help. Uh, plenty of failure, plenty of failure. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I always tell people the older I get, the less I or the more uh-huh. I realize that I don't I don't know too much. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what they say about doctoral work, too, is when mm. you finally get to d- doing that kind of level of study and uh, you realize how much you don't know. Um, once you discover the world, you go in thinking, I'm finally going to master something only to find that the bottom of the knowledge uh, has opened up to an even deeper chasm of unknowing. And so it makes you feel so small. So, yep, I get it. And I think that's part of the journey that God takes us on to keep us dependent and uh, clinging to him. He's good for that, isn't he? He is. Praise God. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, we were talking before the podcast, uh, our little Alabama connection, you're in Birmingham. So how, how is Alabama treating you these days? I love it. It is uh, Birmingham, such a great city. Been here for eight years now. Um, such a hospitable place. Never lived in the South before. So um, I, I have adapted to Southern culture and gotten very uh, used to it, appreciative of it. And uh, this city is a perfect city. It's like mid size. So driving's not too difficult. People complain about traffic here. And I've lived in LA and Denver and near Miami. And I'm like, this is nothing. Totally fine. Mm-hmm. People move here all the time from Atlanta just so that they have shorter commutes. So it's a pretty wonderful city. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama's got some beauty to it, man. Yeah. It's, it's yep. fun to fun to go there. Uh, you mentioned Denver. I, I used to live in Denver as well. Where, where at in Denver? Nice. I lived all over Denver. Lived in the north side in Thornton and Broomfield. Lived yep. in Parker. Worked in the tech center all over. Yeah. yeah. I was in the Brighton area for, oh, nice. for a few years at a, at yeah. a church plant. So very nice. That's awesome, man. So you've been in ministry for for quite a while. Can you tell us about your ministry journey, how you started and how you ended up pastoring? Yeah, I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, which I love, appreciate. It was the cradle of my faith um, in Hawaii, of all places. And so really, that's what taught me to love the Lord, love the scriptures. I received a call to ministry in the 10th grade. It was an experience on a youth retreat where I was reading a passage of scripture and God basically said to me, uh, I want you for pastoral ministry. So I aimed my sights to to go be a pastor, which included like getting an MDiv, because that's what pastors do is they go get their master of divinity. But I didn't know what I was going to do for undergrad. 
And around that time, which was pretty late bloomer for a musician, God started cultivating musical gifts. I picked up a guitar, started singing more regularly and leading my youth group uh, in music. And that bloomed into uh, an undergrad area of pursuit. And so I studied music in L.A., Biola University, in their conservatory of music. And um, it was a crash course for me. I was woefully behind all my fellow students. Um, and then from there, went on to seminary uh, in the state where my wife was from. So I met my wife, Abby, and we moved back to Denver. And I went to Denver Seminary, studied there. And I, um, I was getting interested in theologically in the Reformed tradition. My wife grew up as a Presbyterian. So we started exploring Presbyterian churches and me serving as a worship leader in those churches while I went to seminary. And I ended up in a a small church plant in North Denver called Rocky Mountain Presbyterian. It's a church in the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA. And it ended up being just the best incubator for ministry for me. I got my feet wet everywhere uh, in every part of ministry. And that's really what wedded kind of my worship leading role and some of my pastoral call together. Uh, and then from there, I ended up serving in a larger Presbyterian church in a sister denomination called the EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's where I got ordained. Uh, and that's a denomination that I'm still a part of. And uh, man, since then, I've served in a church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for three years before moving to Birmingham and serving at an at a church in downtown Birmingham. And then finally, now I'm 10 months into planting a church right in the middle of our neighborhood in Cahaba Heights here in Birmingham called Church of the Cross. And I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question is church planting. I, I worked for a church plant for a few years. So how's it going for you? Uh, I'm experiencing more joy in ministry than I have in a long time. Um, it's just fun to be on the frontier of mission again, after serving in large churches that have their own missional call, but usually large churches aren't going to be on the edge of mission in a city like a church plan is church plants just have an ethos and a way of, uh, being able to connect with people who are, uh, really who don't know Jesus or who barely know Jesus or who have disconnected from knowing Jesus and the privilege of walking with, um, those folks has been a real joy and a treasure. And I, uh, I absolutely love all the time I'm spending in coffee shops and over meals and beverages, talking about faith and hearing people's stories and inviting them to uh, follow more deeply the way of Jesus alongside our church as we journey. And then training other Christians on how to be good listeners and faithful compatriots for, um, for sufferers, people that have had a story of difficulty with God or Jesus or the church. Um, and so the joy of it is just watching daily miracles happen in the lives of people who were once alienated from God and watching them kind of turn and, and find, or sometimes refine the God of all mercy in Jesus Christ. So uh, I, I can't believe it. It's also the first time that I'm transitioning into being a quote more classical pastor while someone else is leading music. So I mm. help out with music very seldomly, and I'm certainly you know in on the worship planning and and stuff like that. But uh, someone else who's very capable, her name's Jess Leslie. She's like a wonderful co-pastor in what we're doing, um, and really gifted. And it's it's weird to be in my seat 
And we've we talked we've had so many of those conversations of like this is just going to be awkward because I've never been where I'm sitting, mm-hmm. and you probably never been where you you've been sitting with someone who's been in your seat. So this is just weird. Um, and I'm going to make mistakes. So we're going to have to walk with a lot of grace and forgiveness, which we have been, and it's been working really well. That is fantastic, man. I love yeah. hearing all that. What What do you think is one of the biggest things you've learned as a pastor and learning how to work with a worship leader when you're not, you've been a worship leader. Now you're not that. Yeah. I tell Jess this all the time. Um, one of the things that I've learned not every pastor will agree with me, but pound for pound on a Sunday morning, it is way more stressful to be a worship leader than it is to be a preaching pastor on Sunday morning. There's way more that's flying through the head and mind and heart of a worship leader. They have to con- control and navigate and think about. And uh, you just have to be so hyper aware of stuff. And now that I'm the person that has the privilege of preaching, but not having to lead music all the time, even though we have a shared pulpit and multiple people preach at our church, not just me. On the Sundays where I am preaching, I'm very aware of how much more relaxed I am than I ever was as a music leader who had to focus on all the details and transitions. And I was a primary one thinking about the elements and flow of a worship service. Very different in my seat. So that's definitely one of the things that I've learned. Um, I, I've learned too, uh, that there, you know, one of the most important relationships in a local church that's kind of stylized the way your church is and my church is, uh, is, is the relationship between the pastor or the lead pastor and the worship leader. And I find that that relationship needs to be cultivated um, and cherished and worked on. And when it's not, it really does set the tone for some other downstream negativity and difficulty. And when it's good and healthy, it really does actually pave the way for um, a lot of health in the church. And it's kind of hard to measure, but I've just seen it time and again with the worship leaders that I've coached and even in my own story um, you can see the difference between a health of a church, often based on how the, the functionality of the relationship between a, a pastor and a worship leader is, is working. That's so true, man. I I 100% agree with that, and I have definitely experienced that. So, yeah, thanks for that word. So yeah. you've, you've led worship uh, for several years or many years, I should, I should say, and so a couple decades of that, have you had some embarrassing moments on stage that you can recall? <laughs> yeah, I mean, every if you're there long enough and you're in an environment where you don't always have a script and you're just, uh, you know, you're just saying things from <laughs> your wisdom or from your folly, eventually you're going to say something where it's a slip of the mouth uh, and, uh, you know, I won't share my most re- most embarrassing one. You have to like hang out with me for for coffee or something else like that, uh, because I don't. It is a little like it's 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 more than PG. Um, but one of the things that I said most recently was it, I said um, instead of saying during a time where I was encouraging the congregation to get involved with each with each other's lives, I said, "Would you get involved with each other's wives?" <laughs> and uh you know and i i paused after it the congregation started giggling i i probably turned red and i'm like you know i you know what i meant to say 
and there's really no recovering from this. So I just kind of paused, felt the awkwardness and moved on. And then, you know, now regularly I get jabbed by all my people uh, about that, including my own kids, because they're very aware of every time dad makes a mistake and they love to stick it to me. So, you know, when you have a most embarrassing moment in front of your people, they will, especially if you, I think, especially if you have a good relationship and it's a relationship of love, it's going to come up again and again and again. And it's just going to be, you know, a joke that returns and haunts you for the rest of your life. And you just <laughs> keep feeling that love, man. Yep. You just yep, keep feeling yep. that love. <laughs> I mean, I have plenty of stories too. Like cl- embarrassing moments include the classic, like putting the capo on the wrong fret. Oh, yeah. And then just confidently entering in one half step below or above where the everybody else is playing and it just train wrecking the band or, you know, yeah, uh, you, you play long enough and that's just going to happen. And we all need grace for one another. So I've been there so many times. Yeah. And, and you know, a little humility is not too bad for worship leaders these days. So uh, yes and amen. I have <laughs> I have think that the Lord does this just to remind us that he's God and we're not. So that's right. Yeah. I, uh, half jokingly tell people if I can like get to the end of my worship leading run without getting on one of those like worship fails. <laughs> um, yeah, I know if right. I can just make it yep. to the end without appearing on that, I've done something. Yeah. So. You know, our <laughs> church doesn't live stream on purpose. Uh, we have, we're, we're sort mm. of yep. trying to, we're, we're, we've, we're trying something with that. Um, mm-hmm. and, Yet one of the wonderful byproducts is that nothing is recorded and everything can only be stored in people's memories, you know? So like I won't end up on a worship fail in this environment. Thank God. Cause yeah. I, I would. Yeah. <laughs> well, I told you, I read, uh, it, the worship pastor, your book, was that your first book that you wrote? Yeah, it was. Yep. I had contributed a chapter to an earlier book that was a bunch of worship leaders called Doxology and Theology, um, edited by Matt Boswell. Um, and but Worship Pastor is the first book I wrote all by myself. Yeah. One of my highlights in the book, is, you said, I believe that every pastor should consider worship leadership part of their duty and mm. every worship leader should view their job as fulfilling a pastoral function. Yeah. Every pastor and worship leader is a worship pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really I um I wrote that, I guess what, seven years ago, and I still believe it. Uh I I, I sort of take my stand on what I read from the scriptures. You you don't really find titles like worship leader in the scriptures, actually. The closest thing we have is in Hebrews 8, 2, and it's a title attributed to Jesus, um, not us. So even the idea that there's some u- unique role in a local church uh, that is what we call worship leader, it, it's kind of an anomaly. And you have to stitch together various pictures from the scriptures to get at what we're doing here. And I do think that as we stitch that together and a component of that that is necessary is is pastor of some sort, shepherd of some sort, minister of some sort. It's a it's a pastoral thing that we do. And I try to encourage this of worship leaders mostly because um, we've, we've separated those two um, those two roles in the local church. And yet, even though we've separated it in name, worship leaders are still making pastoral decisions, whether they know it or not. So my point is just to kind of raise the awareness that 
choosing songs is choosing prayers and choosing prayers is disciple making work. Cause I am yeah. I'm choosing prayers that people pray. Those prayers shape the kinds of prayers that they pray when they're by themselves. Yeah. And so when I do that, I am engaging in pastoral work. When I'm thinking about arrangements or thinking about a, a kind of philosophy of, of sound or lighting or slides or anything else ancient or modern, um, I'm I am making decisions that affect the formation of people, the way they follow, perceive, and engage with God. And so those are pastoral decisions, whether we like it or not. Um, and so the question is not whether we're choosing to be a pastor or not. The question is more of whether if we're going to engage our role uh, intentionally pastorally or kind of haphazardly and accidentally pastorally. And so that's for the worship leader. But the other thing is, you know, um, in some traditions, the pastor has kind of abdicated their role as a worship leader and farmed it out to the chief musician, not recognizing that the chief musician makes a lot of pastoral decisions. And maybe we should do that together as a team because we each contribute these gifts to this kind of pastoral perspective. And, uh, you know, seminaries have, have not probably trained us well enough in some traditions of being able to think through all these dynamics. So the pastor is worship leader. The worship leader is pastor. I, I do think even if the roles aren't always identical, there needs to be a kind of coming together of those things for the sake of, of ministry and for the sake of our local churches. Yeah. So now you are the pastor of your church and, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in my book, I wrote about a big section about the idea of giving your spot away eventually, like raising mm, up leaders and yep. worship leaders and making it bigger than yourself and being upstaged and being okay with that. And I wrote that man almost a decade ago and now I'm facing it. Like now I've, mm -hmm, I'm I'm mm -hmm. actually doing it. So now here you are a pastor how is that working for you, you know, as you look at that as, from that perspective? Yeah, to your point, uh, and I love that, that's needed in the local church. Part of the reason I felt called to switch seats in my role and to make a transition was for that reason. I sense God in my mid-30s getting ready, and I'm 42 now, so uh, in my mid-30s, I sensed God turning a, a chapter over in my vocation. He said, I, I want to change the ratio of your work now. And I want the ratio of doing to mentoring to shift. You've been doing long enough and it's really time to offer people the wisdom and the opportunity that you, you haven't had and to, in a sense, get out of that seat, but coach and bring others along for the sake of the broader church and for the sake of your own church. So I, I felt those rumblings uh, upwards of like five years ago and knew that the time was going to eventually come. I didn't know what form it would take. Initially, I thought I'm just going to stay a worship pastor, but I'm going to uh, start to slide over and start to become more of a, a coach and a mentor and a de-spotlighted uh, manager, if you could say that. That's not the best term, but uh, just someone who's in a different, if in a different role, and being able to platform others to extend and exercise their gifts as well, and I definitely see that playing out in this church plant. Um, even though I'm not the worship pastor anymore, because of my training, my expertise, and uh, the kinds of gifts and opportunities the Lord has given me, I do sit in the role of of mentor and um, 
even as we're kind of co-laboring together, Jess and I uh, do have that functionality. And I mean, there's so much joy in being able to pass things on to others. And God's gracious enough to do that, that work over time in your own heart, such that some of the more selfish reasons you got in have kind of been eroded from view when you've been in this long, like, you know, some of the reasons I just wanted to be in front of people and wanted people to like me and adore me, which is idolatrous and wrong. And God was gracious enough to work me through that mercifully and still help me preserve a job, but kind of repent as I'm doing it. And now that I'm on the, on the other side of 20 years of that, the, the luster wears off, the glamour wears off, and the pastoral ministry is left. Like the just the passion for others and the passion for the presence of the Lord. And when those things are in place, it it kind of naturally makes you want to get out of the way and provide opportunities and spaces for other people to um, exercise that leadership role and um, express those gifts that the Spirit has given them for the sake of the local church. And then the real joy is watching how God bears fruit through mm. those people beside you. And then you go, I mean, isn't God so good just to keep on preserving his church by raising up new generations? So yeah, that's all in the in the makeup of what has become our church right now. So there's a there's a a, a culture of mentorship and raising up the next generation that's already in our DNA as a result of what God's done, even through that that one set of roles that we have. Oh, that's wonderful, man. Yeah. And even as a pastor now, I was thinking about your quote too, that you said every pastor should consider worship leadership part of their duty. Uh-huh. So so have you been able to transition into that and figure that out yet? Oh, definitely. Um, and part of that's my theology of worship, right? Like uh, worship is much more than music. Worship is really the whole gathered service from beginning to end. And then worship is is a whole life lived unto God, unto his glory. But when it comes to the gathered worship service, uh, every bit of it from the call to worship, to the songs, to any offering we might give, to the sermon, to receiving of communion or baptizing folks, that's all acts of worship. That's all a dialogue with the Lord, revelation and response as, as Ron Mann teaches us. Uh, in his new book on worship. And so um, I'm a part of the group of people that stand in front of others. And we we have a fairly kind of prayer book oriented, Book of Common Prayer oriented worship service interspersed with lots of singing and modern worship songs. And so there are plenty of moments that are non-musical moments where I am an active worship leader. I'm leading people emotionally. I'm leading people theologically. I'm leading people in their bodies in the way I lead our liturgy. So uh, yeah, I definitely, leading worship is a team effort at our church and really should be a team effort at every church. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Well, uh, I'm also excited about your new book. It's called Before We Gather. It just came out. And uh, why don't you tell us about that? It's for worship teams, right? Yep. It's uh, it's kind of center of the target is worship leaders and teams. And the goal was to fill a gap of something that I found to be really powerful and dynamic, a practice that I, I from experience, have seen alter three different churches when we started engaging this, which is to say, before a service, we're going to set aside time to reflect briefly on some aspect of worship from the scriptures And then we're going to actively pray for what the scriptures have led us to pray for so that we can anticipate God kind of doing something that we're all primed to see. 
There are other worship devotions out there that are like more for personal worship or to orient the believer's heart in a worshipful manner, but I've never seen a devotion that's specifically designed for worship leaders, for teams, and then more broadly for worshipers. I mean, it would be great if whole churches kind of went through these devotions together. I think they'd see something, but there, there hasn't been a devotion that I've seen to date that is dedicated to preparing those who help lead and facilitate a worship service in all being ready for what worship is. So um, it's got 52 devotions, one for every week of the year. It's super flexible and uh, it's got a bunch of indexes in the back that can organize it around various things like sermon themes, scripture passage, liturgical uh, year, or even chapters in the worship pastor. If people are going through it and want to kind of supplement their reading with their worship leaders and teams of the worship pastor with devotions. Um, but the goal is to really, uh, it's it's got the devotional, it's got a, a passage of scripture devotional, and then bullet points of prompted prayer so that we don't kind of get sidetracked in praying for good things, but not the things that we're focused on praying before a worship service. And the, one of the sort of hopes of it is it, it begins to change the culture of leadership, but also the culture of the room in a worship service when people have been primed to anticipate the work of the spirit in what the spirit says in the word will happen in a worship service. It starts making people anticipate it, pray for it, ask God for it and long for it in a way that starts to kind of answer those prayers in real time. And I've seen that practice of 15 to 20 minutes of gathered and focused devotion and prayer before a service really begin to alter the culture of worship in places where it was dead or stagnant and began to kind of open up a new room for growth in, in our congregations. Um, so that's what I put together. And it's kind of the culmination of about 10 years mm -hmm. of having done this stuff in local churches. And in a way I, I, I kept track of some of the devotions that were like, Oh, that was, that was a really effective one. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of over time compiled those and, during a season of rest and recuperation in between calls to ministry really felt the Lord's uh, prompting to, to write this book and it's here. And I'm already hearing inklings of how much it's helping mm. local churches. And that's been my, my joy and my, my mm. hope for this book. That's fantastic. Well, I'm excited to take my worship team through it. We're going to be starting it in January. So we're, we're excited to go through that. And uh, thank you for writing it, um, for filling in that gap uh, that was there. So thanks for your work on that. As worship leaders listen to this, worship leaders that are leading in churches every Sunday, what would be like the biggest piece of advice that you would give someone, especially those that are even just starting out, learning how to be a worship leader in the local church? Yeah, um, I'll give you one piece one um, insight into who you are, what your role is, and one practice that I think is essential to being a great worship leader. The insight is you, you are nothing more and nothing less than the finger of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a herald of Jesus Christ. Uh, he was someone who in the wilderness pointed the way to the Lord. And there are all these great paintings uh, throughout church history. And when they paint John the Baptist, they often paint him as um, 
it's kind of a, a a blending of several instances in scripture, but oftentimes in in classic Christian painting, you'll find John the Baptist off to the side, and you'll find Christ often crucified in the middle, and you'll see John's finger pointing at Jesus. Um, and the whole the whole message there is is we are trying to do as worship leaders what John did in his ministry, which is to say and admonish the congregation. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So in other words, we're mouthpieces for the gospel. We're mouthpieces for the the only news that can actually change someone and can actually change uh, non-Christians and can actually change Christians. Um, so if we're interested in our people looking, smelling, uh, being more like Jesus, we want to point them to Christ and him crucified, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians so being a finger of John the Baptist is what you ultimately are, is you're pointing people to Jesus. And the practice that I think is, is been has borne more fruit in my life than anything else is praying the Psalms regularly. The Psalms are God's top 150 CCLI chart, you know, they're what God says is, you know, if you want the best songs for worship possible, these are it 150 of of amazing beautiful varied evocative emotionally charged theologically rich experientially full worship music um and so meditating and praying those psalms will start to shape a worship leader into the kind of person who chooses songs that sound like that mirror or that even express the language and breadth of the Psalms. And what I mean by praying them is pretty simple. Opening one up or more up, getting on your knees and reading them aloud to God with as much uh, engagement of your heart and in as much of a prayerful manner so that the words aren't just recited, but actually said from you. And literally praying from Psalm 1 to 150 over, the, over a course of days or months, uh, and then repeating that and never stopping. And what I find is when we do that, for me, not only um, do I find that single practice affecting a lot of my anxiety in a positive way, it also just attunes me to the center of a theology of worship. So I'm just kind of more sharp and observant as I analyze, think about, employ songs, as I pray over people on Sunday mornings, and as I pastor them one-on-one. -on -one. And as I go about my own relationship with God, I just find I'm enriched with language that gives me far more words to say, uh, far more words than I thought I could ever uh, say to God, far more expressions than I thought was possible to offer to God. God has already offered in his word and what a gift. So I would encourage you to pray the Psalms over and over again. And there's some great prayer plans out there. There's a wonderful 30-day psalm cycle prayer plan that over 30 days of praying in the morning and the evening or i do it all in the morning you can get through all 150 psalms from 1 to 150 over the course of that 30-day span that's found in um, any prayer book we'll always have a 30-day psalm cycle available it's what thomas cranmer my hero from the 16th century kind of set up um so it takes me about 15 minutes a day and if i'm tracking 30 days consistently which i never am but if I am, I'm done with all 150 by the end of it. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for that. That's that's some great stuff. And uh, I definitely hear that and receive that as a worship leader for sure. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, for the time that you've given me and given us. And uh, thanks for your resourcing us worship leaders and the church. You can go to ZachHicks.com to see his books, his music, and his resources. So thanks again, Zach, for coming on the More Than the Worship Leader podcast. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Zach is a writer, author, musician, and producer. What I love most about my conversation with Zach was that the word pastor shined brighter than any of those other descriptors. You clearly see his passion for the local church and sharing the gospel. He's a worship pastor, and most definitely more than a worship leader. Here's what I say about that in my book. Don't settle for just being in front of people. Be in the lives of people. Maybe you have a young worship leader in your church that's just waiting to be mentored. There's nothing more loving you can do than to invest in someone. Teach them how to grow closer to God. Show them how to help others, empower and equip them. I feel like worship leaders are often more focused on equipment than they are on equipping. So let's change that. Let's love people. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please add this to your podcast list, review it, and share it with others. And don't forget about Gary's books, More Than a Worship Leader and More Than a Band, available on Amazon today.